This is Our Voices on the Yard. Welcome to Our Voices on the Yard, where Black artistic excellence meets everyday life. I'm your host, Denise Woods, and I'm going to take you from the Black church to the bright lights of Broadway, from tiny music studios to the mega stages of international opera houses, from rustic dance studios to ornate vaudeville theaters. Join me as we explore and celebrate the achievements of the Black artists that attended conservatories and fine arts programs around the world, starting with my very own, the Juilliard School. This is Our Voices on the Yard. Hi, this is Denise Woods, and this is Our Voices on the Yard. Welcome back to part two of the wonderful, unique interview with Malik Williams. Last week, this wonderful man, this wonderful dancer, just revealed so many pertinent aspects of what it was like to be a dancer at the Juilliard School. He was vulnerable. He was passionate. He was open. He was revealing. He's going to go even further today. Yes. Um. Malik, Malik, was there was there an epiphany? Was there a moment in your career at Juilliard where you said, fuck them, <laughs> essentially. Fuck it. This is who I am. This is what I've got. Was there a group of dancers or people, a community around you that reaffirmed when you didn't believe in yourself? Was there a community? Was there someone you could go to that said, you know, Malik, listen, dude, you know, they knew what they were getting when they accepted you into Juilliard. And so start there as opposed to trying to mold you into a cookie cutter with someone there just to say, Malik, bring you to the table, bring the best you to the table that you could possibly bring. You know, was there somewhere or was there, like I said, was there an epiphany at some point? There are several points in my brain that are like popping up to me. Take your time. I remember when I hit rock bottom. Okay. And that was the end of my junior year. I was still on probation and I had another meeting with the director and he told me, and like, I keep saying this, it brings a chill to me because I truly hit the bottom. He said, Malik, at your audition, you showed so much promise. You showed so much um, potential. And ev- like all the teachers, everyone, were so excited for you to join. And since you've been here, all you have done is disappointed the, the faculty and me. When I, when I tell you I felt broken, Mm-hmm. I was completely speechless. In that moment, I was sobbing. I said to him, I said, Larry, I will never be Sean. I will never be Josh. I will never be any other person in my class but myself. And I am trying my absolute hardest. I have tried my hardest from the very beginning. And if that is not enough, kick me out because. I'm giving you everything that I have and obviously it's not enough for you. So instead of going through this every single year, just kick me out and call it a day because I'm on probation and I have Mm -hmm. been for however long that has been. And you are obviously constantly disappointed in me. So like, and you just said, apparently the entire faculty is disappointed because I 
am not reaching my true potential. And I was just like, you know, I have no more to give to you. I have no more to give to the school. I have no more in me to keep pushing by myself to be better. And so I literally told him to kick me out. He didn't. Obviously, I'm a BFA. But I think that was the moment where I said to myself, Malik, you're you're just going to have to do it yourself. You're going to have to, Hmm. you've been broken down for three years and you have one more year and not even a whole year because I'm auditioning this year to be in the world. So you have X amount of weeks, X amount of months to build yourself back up and be the person that you were before you joined this school. And Malik, Malik, hold on for one second. I just need to ask it. Where did that start? You said you need to build yourself back up. How do you start? You're at rock bottom. How do you start? Where did you start? Where did you start? Did your, I, did your family I, know you were going through this? Yes. And that's the only reason why I made it through. My grandmother, who's very, very dear to my heart. I know that. She, she has been my biggest cheerleader. She has been my biggest supporter. She has been that person in the corner of the ring for me the entire time Mm. I've been alive, basically. Mm -hmm. And she knew everything was going on. I was constantly letting her know. And she would like try to instill that confidence and that self-worth that she has been trying to do ever since I was born. She was still trying to do that while I was being knocked down every single day and i remember there was you know that happened right before before summer i went home and told her everything and she was just like malik like it's breaking my heart Mm. to see you become a shell of who you were because of these random people who because they work at this school and it's this school with such prestige that you have and I can't see it because it's podcast. I'm putting quotations. You have to listen to them. Like, I just remember like crying and her holding me and just saying, you are enough. Mm-hmm. You have always been enough. And you will always will be enough. In that as long as I'm doing my best, that's all anyone can ask for. And if they're asking for more, that's their problem and not my own. And... It was, it was my grandmother and my mom and like the people in my family who I am very close with who supported me. Also, the biggest part was reaching out to the Black alum of the dance division. Wow. I remember the beginning of that senior year, I went into the office of someone that I trusted who wasn't in the dance division. She was just in an admissions and not a part of like the actual division and was basically telling her everything that I'm telling you. And she like just looked at me and she said, I'm going to give you a list of black alums, dance alums, and I'm going to reach out to them, but I want you to reach out to them and talk to them. And I hope that's going to help. And she just kind of left it there. And was Mm -hmm. just like, she sent me the list and she was like, you know, reach out to them. 
And it literally changed my life. It literally saved me. I reached out to all of them on that list. Two of them became my mentors. And I just remember telling them things that my director told me. And they said, Malik, none of this is about you because he said the same exact words to me when I was in school. Whoa. He said to me, if I did ballet correctly, my legs would look different or, you know, I should like aspire to look more like X, Y, and Z, you know, that you're a disappointment. You're not reaching the goals that we have for you. And speaking with them and hearing that I think was the thing that I needed to finally be able to look at the school more objectively, which is difficult because I'm in it and I'm living in it and experiencing it. But I'm talking to people who've been through it, who are looking back on their experience. And now they're talking to someone who is literally having that same experience. And they're like, Malik, I know it's rough. I know it's tough and I know it's hard, but you have to realize that this is not about you personally. This is not about you as a dancer. It's about simply the fact that you are a black dancer and the school is not made to train black dancers. It is not made to make us the best dancers that we can be. That's an interesting statement, Malik, because I just have to interject here that the dance division is now headed by an African-American woman. Yes. Yes. Her name is Alicia Graff. And mm -hmm. I think she is going perhaps into her fourth year as the head of the dance division at Juilliard. So I think it's a huge step in the right direction to sort of heal a lot of those discrepancies that that students of color, particularly of African descent, have felt for years. And it saddens me. And when I talk to students in the drama division, I was at Juilliard in the 70s. And to hear mm -hmm. you talk about it, it's like, we are still having this fucking conversation? Really? Yeah. We are really still having this conversation. And we will have it until we level the playing field until that you can see our bodies and our voices and embrace them, you know, with love and respect. And really in an effort to decolonize art and the Eurocentric paradigm of what art is. And that's the reason mm -hmm. for our voices on the yard because I think we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, <laughs> and we really are. And when you hear our stories, when you hear our pain, and when you hear our triumphs, you can't help but applaud the efforts of the folks that came before you. Because God bless those dancers and your grandma. <laughs> that came and they saw you. That's all you wanted to, you want to be seen, see me, hear me, embrace me. Don't say, but you don't have what they have. 
You know, I think that's what Misty Copeland was saying for years. Her body does not mm -hmm. look like the little girls from ABT. <laughs> it's just not. Doesn't make her less of a dancer. Doesn't make her less of a ballerina. I think these conversations are so constructive because we have to have these uncomfortable conversations so that we can deconstruct. We can deconstruct it and then reconstruct it because now I want to know how what the transition was from Juilliard because you've got your BFA in hand. Like you stuck it out. Mm -hmm. Do you know how many people would have said, I'm out, I'm out of here. And you stuck it out. You've got your BFA in hand, your degree in hand. And you are now with one of the most prestigious dance companies in the nation. What was that transition like? Let's talk about from, did you walk, were you in gra at graduation? Did you walk across the stage? I was. I did. How did that feel? It felt surreal. <laughs> I made it somehow, like, regardless of all of the bullshit that was thrown at me and all of the crap that I had to deal with that everyone else didn't have to deal with because of the color of their skin. But I made it. And my mom and my grandma were there in the audience. They were. And they did. They were. My whole family came up, but we were only allowed two tickets. So my mom and my grandma were the two who came to watch me. And honestly, like, I was feeling so much joy when I got my degree that I was like this close to just like dropping it low and like twerking and like, being like, I made it. <laughs> like I, you do not understand. I was so close. I just wanted to just like prance across that stage, leaping, turning, flipping, just like yelling because I made it. I made it and I was still <sighs> me at some level. And it just was like, to see and like my mom and my grandmother watched me go through it watched me become a shell of who I was mm. watch me hit rock bottom to see them see me being like making it and being so happy like I looked at them and just it meant so much to me as well to be like I made it but I made it because of you because of the yes. support I had at home and this is just as much my victory as yours. I wanted to share that with them because we did it together. Like this is, yes, I was the one who was doing it, but like, you know what they say, it takes a village. Totally. And I so applaud you. I so applaud you because it really took a village. And I saw that when I met you five years ago, I saw that you had angels camped out around you living ones, ancestor ones, ones that had gone on before, there was truly a presence of something spiritual saying, no, we have something in store for this young man. He will not be taken out because a lot of artists are taken out either by drugs, depression, suicide. It can be difficult. It can be very, very difficult at this level. And and I'm just so grateful to know you. I'm so grateful to hear your story. I'm so grateful that you're sharing it with us because, you know, if we can, if we can impress upon someone out there who's struggling, 
with similar issues, we can impress that, you know, if you hang in there, find a mentor, find a community, find your tribe, go to your family. Even if you've been ostracized by your family because they wanted a doctor and you ended up being an artist, you know, and so they've put you out or they're staunch Pentecostal Christian and you say, well, I'm gay, you know, and they've ostracized you, then find a tribe that, that can support you during these times because things are evolving. We are evolving. We are evolving as a world. I think that this pandemic is perhaps the best thing that could have had us to sit our asses down for two years, <laughs> get a grip on the world. And so, so the ability to come and share is just enlightening me, and I'm sure it's enlightening the audience. Thank you. I, this is, we're not ending. I, I want to know how, no, I, you, you, you haven't gotten rid of me yet. We, no, we are not finished. <laughs> I want to know what those years, those early years were like when you got out of Juilliard, babe. Because how do you become um, a professional dancer? How do you get out in the real world, take that BFA and deal with rejection when you go into these auditions? <laughs> you, what happened? <laughs> like I said, I was auditioning a lot through senior year. Um, and like any artist know, knows that you're going to hear no a lot more than you're going to hear yes. That's just the reality. But I felt like who I am as a person, I don't like to be like pigeon held into one box or school at the time it's very different now but at the time was like pushing for you to have a very specific track or a very specific career they wanted you to go to europe and dance in europe or like dance in a company and that was what you did and that's what we trained you for but i was going to auditions and i was like that would be amazing and i mean i'm doing it now but like could i do other things what's stopping me from being on Broadway or what's stopping me for auditioning for a music video or X, Y, and Z. I felt like, especially like the first few years after I graduated, because I was so open to trying anything and everything, I ended up having a lot of work. And yes, it wasn't necessarily always concert dance, but I was dancing. I was enjoying myself. I was making money, which is very important. And it just, like, I look back and, like, some of the things that I did, right, like, I danced with Lamone for a year. What? Say that again. Yes, I was an apprentice. <laughs> Say that again, because people who don't know the Lamone Company, can you tell us what that is? So the Lamone Dance Company was created by Jose Lamone, which was one of the big modern dancers of their era. It was, like, Martha Graham, Merce Cunningham, Jose Lamone. He was one of them and he made this company, which was based with his movement, the Lamone Technique. And we had a little bit of that in school. We also did a piece of his called Lisa Brevis. And I remember doing that piece and being like, ooh, I really like this movement. I've never done like Lamone Technique, but now I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, this feels nice. So they had auditions and I went and it was the day before I was supposed to go to Montreal for like a summer intensive. And I got the call that they wanted to offer me an apprenticeship. And I was like, yes, yes. Is, is this happening? Yes. <laughs> wow. Um, and like, at the time I didn't have a job. So like, I was going to go to Montreal and I was like, I'm going to be auditioning. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to make this work. 
And like right before I left, it was like, so you have a job. Do you want it? And I was like, again, another moment where I had a plan and I was so ready to stick to that plan. And then they were like, just kidding. Um, <laughs> word threw me a curveball. So then, yeah, I ended up taking it. And so like that first year I danced with the Limon company. That's huge. Congratulations. Thank you so much. You're it was, welcome. it was a great learning experience and I love the movement. I love the people I was dancing with. It was a great time, but as I was an apprentice, there were certain weeks I wasn't working. Sure. And that August or maybe it was July, I got a call from an audition that I did that I was put on the wait list for. I got a call that someone dropped out and they wanted to know if I wanted to do it. And the weeks that I had off with Limon perfectly fit the weeks of this other job, which was Radio City Christmas Spectacular. What? <laughs> yes. That's great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so like in the middle of Limon dancing for that Christmas season, I literally did the ensemble of the Radio City Christmas Spectacular with the Rockettes, which was, again, one of those auditions. I was like, why not? I'm auditioning for everything. It would be cool. And then it like, this really sounds like sound business advice. It sounds like, you know, the business, <laughs> instinctively, the businessman in you, because that's the one thing that I felt when I came out of Juilliard in 79, that I didn't know anything about business. I knew nothing about finances. I knew nothing about the hustle and the grind of being an entrepreneur, a business. And the business just happens to be you, your body. That's the business. And you're the CEO of the business. And it just seems to me that somewhere in your DNA, there was a businessman in there that that took his degree and said, hey, I know you want me to go in this direction, Juilliard, but I got to eat. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yes. It just, yeah. And I think part of that, again, was instilled in me from my grandmother and my mother. Yes. You know, my mom's a doctor. Mm -hmm. My grandmother is a therapist. And they were like, you know what? If you want to dance, go for it. Put your all into it. But also know you have other options. Also know even your dance career doesn't have to be this straight line or this very, very like narrow path. You know, it's only as small as you make it. So right. why not make it as big as you can? Wow. And so Beautiful that's how I said. looked at auditioning. Yeah. Thank you. It's just like, that's how I viewed auditions. I was like, well, why not? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? No, I've already heard that 300 times. So like, <laughs> what's another no going to do? You know, through that, it has helped me do all these different things you know, do Radio City, but also do Limon and also yeah. do a movie and now doing Mark Morris. That mindset has helped me become more of who I am because I'm also, like I said earlier, I don't want to be held in the box. I don't want to just sure. do one thing and just like, that's it. Like, 
I want to experience all that I can experience, especially since a dancer's lifespan is shorter than other careers. I want to get everything I can out of it. I've trained how many years I went to this institution that broke me down. Like I didn't do all that for nothing. I want to enjoy life. I want to dance with many different types of people. I want to dance with many different types of industries. I want to, yes. I'm someone who wants to live it. I want to live life. And it's because of my grandparents and my mom. Yeah. They always told me to dream big. They always mm -hmm. told me, Again, you only fail if you don't try. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, I really lived that to the core, or I tried to. Mm -hmm. So leaving school, I feel more authority to like ask for things and or try new things and, you know, like reach out, do this where I met you. I don't know any of these people. I'm a dancer. I, I was going to, I was literally walking in there being like, I don't know what's going to happen. These people are going to be like, who is this? Who is this boy? Like, he's not an actor. And I'm just like, I just want to be here. I want to learn. I want to be, I want to have this experience and look where, you know, now I'm like speaking with you and I would never have thought this would have been part of my life if I didn't, I didn't just say, well, why not? Why not? Absolutely. Brittany invited me to it she said you are welcome to be here and i was like you know what okay i'm gonna go and i'm going to experience it and whatever it is it's gonna be and it was one of the best experiences of my life especially in my juilliard career thank you thank you it was special and as i said at the beginning you left an indelible impression on everybody in the room because nobody knew you. It was this dancer that walked in the room and could identify with everything that we were saying as actors in the room because we're artists, we're storytellers. And how dare you tell me that the way I tell my story or what you can do is you can add to the way I tell my story. You just don't have permission to say that the way I tell my story is wrong. That's the mm -hmm. bottom line. Don't tell me that the way I tell my story or my interpretation of your story is wrong. And you do it through dance, through your body, through your voice, singers, through your fingers if you're a pianist. Basically what we're saying is that our voices matter and your body mm. is beautiful. Don't compare me to someone else's body. Embrace this one and show me how I can make this the best, the, these legs, the best legs that they can possibly be. Malik, you mm. are just incredible. I can't wait for the day to hire you as an actor, <laughs> as an actor, because you are not just a dancer because you told, you're taking singing lessons. You're singing. I am. Okay, I'm just going to share. He said, Denise, I need to be able to sing because I'm going to do a Broadway show and I need to be a triple threat. I need to. And so he's in, in singing lessons and was hoping that this podcast wouldn't interfere with his singing lessons. And that's what <laughs> artists do. You open up, you open up the possibilities. 
And that's something that your grandmother and your mother taught you well, my brother. I'm just so happy that our paths have crossed. If there's something in addition to what you've already said, because, you know, like, what's another no? <laughs> Nothing beats a failure but a try. You know, all of these wonderful gems that you were dropping for young artists out there who are so petrified and allowed their egos to get in the way of doing the best work or just going into an audition because you went into the audition and then you got put on the wait list for the show at Radio City and someone dropped out and boom, you came in at the perfect time that you weren't working with the Limon company. It's like so ordered. It, it's just so structured. The universe, God has all of these wonderful ways of structuring our lives. If we just get out of the way, if we get out of the way, yeah, uh -huh. and then, but see what, what we then have to do is then we have to get tools to handle life on life's terms. And that's when you said therapy, my heart just like leapt for joy because you need to talk to someone, someone who gets you, someone who has a wonderful way of giving you tools that maybe your mother doesn't have, maybe your, your tribe doesn't have, but a professional has tools that you can say, do this and this. A coach, a life coach. Mm -hmm. What would you say? If there's one thing that you can say to the audience and to your younger self, what would it be? If you could look back and say to younger Malik, what would it be? I, <laughs> I, I feel like this might sound a little cliche. If there was one thing I could tell my younger self or just anyone, it would be, you are enough. Ooh. What my grandma told me, you always have been enough. You will continue to be enough. And no one can take that away from you. And if someone says that you're not enough, that has more to say about them than it actually does about you. I think that's where I got stuck a lot of times was taking on that burden of being like, they said, I'm not enough, so I have to fix it somehow. I need to be enough for them. When that's not, that is not the answer. And I think if I knew that and internalized that, at that young age, which is very, very difficult. I feel like I would have had a better journey through school mm -hmm. because then my self-worth wouldn't have been based on someone else's opinion of me. <laughs> Beautifully said. Beautifully said, sweetheart. Congratulations on the Mark Morris Dance Group. That's huge. How old are you now? I am 27. That's wonderful, sweetheart. You're in the prime. This is prime time and you are part of a wonderful mm -hmm. dance company. You can pay your bills, <laughs> put a little money in the bank, <laughs> saving. Yes. You know, you, can, you have enough money to take a singing class. You are blessed and thank you for being such a blessing to us. I really do want you to come back to the studio when your company comes to Los Angeles in October. I would love that. It would be nice to sort of be in studio with you to get a part two of this conversation because there's a lot of stuff that I still want to unpack. 
And I want to unpack mm -hmm. it. I want to unpack the other side of darkness, the other side when you really crept into up from the depths of depression and you started seeing the light. I know that your family and the mentors were helpful, but I really want to know that first moment that you said, I'm going to be okay. So we're going to save that. Mm -hmm. We're going to save that for part two when we're face-to-face. -face <laughs> when you knew, I I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be all right. Yeah. And look at you now. It's like, how you like me now? <laughs> Thank you, Malik. Yes. Yes. I'm so proud of you. Thank I am you. so honored to know you. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. I'm, I am so honored. Thank and thank you for allowing me to just share myself and share my story. This is Denise Wood saying, you want more? Find us on whatever podcast platform you use. Subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks a lot. See you next time.